expectations. What would your journey to motherhood be like if you had realistic expectations of how motherhood unfolds? Tune in as I interview a variety of moms and get their understanding on their raw, vulnerable truths of their journey to conception, pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, working motherhood, and their parenting techniques. Listen in for some insight and some inspiration. It's important to get vulnerable and real because there are a lot of inconvenient truths that you just aren't told. Tune in if you like to hear the things no one else tells you. Enjoy Vida de Madre con Mari Vega. Hi, listeners. So we have a dear friend today that we're going to go and call her Maya. Uh, We want to make sure that she feels comfortable to share her truth and her vulnerable moments. And so we've given her some, what is it called? An anonymity. I'm not good at this vocabulary sometimes Mm -hmm. when someone's anonymous. Um, Anonymity. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. Great. So Maya, I'll let you go ahead and kind of start maybe at your first pregnancy. Sure. So my name is Maya and I had infertility issues with um, my first pregnancy. So it took me a little bit of time to get pregnant. And so after trying to go as least invasive as possible, we eventually got pregnant with our second IUI after two years of trying. And then that's how my first pregnancy started. You know, talk to us a little bit about what that process looks like for any listener that doesn't understand what IUI means. Sure. So IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. It is not in uh, um, IVF, which stands for um, in vitro fertilization. So essentially what happens is they take um, male sperm and then they they call it, they wash it. But really it's just they're, they're spinning it. They're getting the best um, sperm into a little syringe. Then they thread a catheter into your uterus. They squirt the sperm into your uterus and it just helps bypass the cervix, which can sometimes um, be a spermicidal um, area. And so it helps promote a better opportunity for sperms to meet your eggs. (laughs) My gosh, the technology there is phenomenal, right? Like let's take out all these like weak ones only the best only the strongest (laughs) yes so I had polycystic ovarian syndrome so essentially what that means is my ovaries were in pushing out an egg they just kind of just um stood behind and so with some um hormonal help on my end the an eggy came out a spermie met the eggy and then it implanted itself in a uterus (laughs) beautiful and now and that that's actually what's called pocs right Right. PCOS. PCOS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard a lot of folks have to deal with that. It's unfortunate. So thank you for giving us that background. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So you go through two years of trying to get to this point and then finally you get that positive pregnancy line. So what was your first pregnancy like? My first pregnancy was completely uneventful other than some spotting here and there, but that is totally normal. Um, and yeah, we, it, very, you know, nausea, no sickness. I mean, I, I almost feel like I paid my dues trying to get pregnant for two years um, or at, that's the way I saw it. And I had a lovely pregnancy. Nice. Well, bring, bring us to the big day. What was that? What were your plans for your um, labor and delivery? Yeah. So essentially 
I decided that I would proceed with labor and delivery at home. So my big plan was to have a home birth. And what that means essentially is that you labor and delivery in the comfort of your own home. And understood there are risk factors that come into play with that, but there are also risk factors that come into play into hospital birthing. And so after a significant amount of research throughout the years, I decided that that was the best fit and decision for my family. Wow. So, so you weighed all your options and then to pursue a home birth, like, did you work with a midwife? Absolutely. So in order to be a home birth candidate, you have to be low risk. And so there are no high risk deliveries at home. And um, of course, um, each and every midwife also has different criteria on what they will deliver at home. And so at any point during your pregnancy journey, you can get transferred um, to uh, obstetrician's care, mostly because that midwife no longer feels that it is safe for you to deliver at home. But thankfully, it was um, a low risk uneventful pregnancy. And so I was a candidate and was able to labor at home. You know, and I think that's crucial. I just want to highlight what you just said, right? Like midwives will never put people in danger. I think there's this this mindset out there that like the, because they're not like operating in a huge hospital and like fully covered by the insurance companies that it might be for some like risky reason. Mm-hmm. But I think they just get a bad rep because we've been conditioned to believe that a doctor's office is the best level of care. Right. And it's also American society that has um, almost trained us to believe that. So if you think about it, uh, worldwide, most deliveries are attended by midwives. And somehow in the United States, we're the only country that most deliveries are attended by obstetricians. And I mean, we can get started on that. <laughs> you know, I'm guiding you a little bit. I'm there guiding you a little some... bit. <laughs> we also have the highest maternal mortality and morbidity rate yes. in the developed world. So, I mean, we can talk about this for mm-hmm. hours. But back to um, the birth story. <laughs> yes. That is why I decided to, um, I genuinely wanted uh, midwifery care. And there's a stark, huge difference between obstetrician care and midwifery care. And what would you say is maybe like the top the top two or top whichever one stands out most in terms of the difference in care? Well, first is the attention to care. So obstetricians are very busy and understandably so. Um, so they their do- visits are quite rapid and quick. So what you will typically find is you will walk yourself into an obstetrician um, office you most likely will wait for that appointment for a prolonged period of time, meaning you're, you, you can get lucky and wait 10, 15 minutes in the office. Sometimes you're waiting an hour um, because they are trying to turn over patients and um, see everyone as quickly as possible. And so by the time you get to the office visit, you do have a very short visit. Um, and by that, I mean, like you'll probably have a 15, 20 minute interaction at most. Whereas with my midwife, I had hour long appointments and I never waited to see her. So I was slotted for 3 p.m. I walked in and at 3 p.m. I saw her and at 4 p.m. I left. Beautiful. And so um, the person, um, she genuinely gets to know me as an individual and knows my pregnancy very closely. 
Um, the second thing is that obstetricians weren't trained to labor women. Their um, training is primarily focused as surgeons. And so you can then understand why one in three women do get a cesarean delivery. And I genuinely wanted a vaginal delivery very much so. And I knew that midwives, that's their main focus. So thank you for giving us that. I I like to, you know, really get everyone's experience when they work with midwives, because I myself, even knowing that the first time didn't even consider them. And I think that for that listener who's thinking that same thing, if we can save you the experience and it's available to you, like we all advocate that it's a really good decision to make, you know, as long as you're not high risk and they'll let you know that. So moving on, tell us how the big day started. Yes. So the big day started is I do work in a hospital. So I went into work 7 a.m., left at 5 p.m., and left some unfinished business at my desk. And then around 8, 10 p.m. started having contractions here and there. And by 1 in the morning, I figured, I think this may be it. (laughs) And then I had to bargain with my husband because I really, really wanted to go back into the hospital to finish my unfinished business at my desk because my desk was a hot mess. (laughs) It kept haunting me. And so, so asked, responsible. I'm like, please let me just go in for two hours and let me just wrap it all up. And we um we bargained for a bit. He said, Okay, I'll go in with you for an hour. And so we went to the hospital for an hour to wrap up all my paperwork and hand off. And then we left and came back home and tried to get some rest, but I was so excited to be in labor that that just wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me too. I did the same thing. I'm like, the second time around, I was like, I'm definitely going to rest. And of course, my water broke again in the middle of the night, and I was like, oh my God, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so so you didn't sleep that whole night. So did, you know, did contractions, were they hitting you intensely back to back, or when did things kind of get moving? So... I will preface that I had some pelvic discomfort prior to labor for many weeks. And so I was very much about the um, type that I enjoyed pregnancy so much. And yes, I had discomfort in my pelvis, but um, I wasn't going to complain. I was just going to keep pushing through and it's okay. Um, and hindsight is twenty twenty, so I totally should have and um, spoken up a little bit more about that. And even when I was um, I would touch base with my midwife. I would say, yeah, my pelvis is uncomfortable, but I really never like highlighted it to the degree that I perhaps should have. And mm-hmm. so what I ended up um, having was some um, symphysis pubis, um, slight like separation type thing. And so essentially I couldn't lift my knee up to put underwear on and stuff. And so I had gone to the chiropractor and they tried adjusting me and my pelvis was really, really tight. And so When labor started, I got significant discomfort in my back and my pelvis, but that didn't exacerbate until the next day. And so my birth story is it lasted a very long time, where in the beginning, it was very um, infrequent contractions. And then once they started to pick up the the following day, it was um, very uncomfortable. Okay, so, and what's a long time mean at this point? Like, a day? 
a few hours, like, you know, two days. Yeah, so a long time was, so um, in, I started having a contraction here and there Monday night, and I don't deliver the baby until Thursday morning. So you were like that for three days? Indeed. And so so my mistake is um I I think you don't get to fully prioritize and evaluate life until you're a mother. And so I wasn't a mother just yet. Don't get me wrong, like I was pregnant and I had my baby in my belly and I loved my baby and I was excited. I should have not gone into work because that was not an important thing. Uh, that paperwork is paper and I should have not gone in. So what ended up happening when I went into the hospital to um, clear out my desk and make sure everything was organized, um, my labor did stop for a little bit. And so that's something that mammals naturally do. So for example, if a cat is laboring and cats usually like will find a little dark place or go into a closet and you open the closet, a cat will stop their labor find another little safe place and then we'll resume labor and it's funny how that happened to me because I am a mammal (laughs) yeah I learned a lot about that the second time around all the research about how we're not treating our bodies we're not letting our bodies be safe and we're like being observed in hospitals and that's that's called um I forget the name now right um yeah so I should have not gone in I should have stayed home I should have rested um and I mean, the excitement is excitement. So by all means, I was going to live that up anyway. Um, but I think that was my um, biggest um, opportunity during my first labor was getting rest. Absolutely. And I, I feel you. I think here we are like new aged working women. And we just think like this thing will happen. It's fine. It's whatever. But, you know, our mental, emotional spiritual everything should be focused on that and should be truly respected and distanced from our regular everyday life Mm -hmm. absolutely and so I don't think I allowed myself to be in that space and in that mindset at an early period Mm -hmm. so talk to me so it's time to push so you're you're literally now so wait I guess after you labor that long at some point you can't be at home anymore right No, yeah, so you can um, fully deliver at home. And so what ended up happening was by Thursday morning, two in the morning, um, I was nine centimeters dilated. I hit a wall and I threw in the towel and I told my birthing team and my husband that I just, I I couldn't do it anymore. And everyone always, talks about this state of exhaustion and I always thought that I would never hit that that you could just you know plow through and if you know you have your right team and you have your right mindset you could just continue your body will take over but um, maternal exhaustion is a true thing and we decided to transfer to the hospital so now you were literally for three days laboring without any serious pain meds Correct. No pain management. (laughs) You are a freaking (laughs) champion. I can't even. You're so strong. Oh my God. I want to hug you. (sighs) Okay. So you, so you get to the hospital and so was it the hospital was going to give you some pain relief. Is that why you threw in the towel at home? Yep. Mm -hmm. So then, um, 
with my birthing team, my midwife, we called um, my the transfer hospital that we had picked in case of anything. Um, and then, of course, there were no beds. There were no labor beds at that hospital, meaning that I would have transferred to that hospital and still labored with no pain management. And I cle- my, my at that point, I was aborting mission for home birth and I needed pain management. And so we did not transfer to that hospital. We transferred to a different one that did have a, um, a labor bed available. And my midwife gave a thorough transfer to a physician report over the phone they knew we were coming so this was a very controlled safe transfer this wasn't some chaotic type of operation mm-hmm. um and so we arrived and i got an epidural um my contractions were always very um inconsistent i would say and i truly believe that could potentially have been to my polycystic ovarian syndrome or not who knows Mm -hmm. because it is a hormonal imbalance type of um type of process so nonetheless I ended up getting some pitocin to help my contractions along and then a couple of hours later out came our baby I was able to deliver vaginally oh wow and and so did you have to push for a long time or I didn't. I was very lucky. I, uh, about 20 minutes. Wow. And you know, for any first time mom who's like 20 minutes, that's actually a very short time. <laughs> I pushed for three something hours. I think. <laughs> um, you know, every woman is different. So, oh, so, so then there he goes. After four days, your son was in your arms. Absolutely in my arms. But I will say that um, although I got the mode of delivery that I was seeking, which was a vaginal birth. It definitely was a long journey of emotional recovery because it didn't happen where I wanted it to happen. So I did not want an epidural when I originally started my pregnancy. I did not want to deliver in a hospital. And of course I had a happy, healthy baby. And now looking back on it, you know, the baby came the way the baby was supposed to come. And, you know, everyone has their own story, but it, it took a good amount of time to just recover from that emotionally. Oh my God. Absolutely. I can't stress enough that mourning is very much a part of motherhood like we mourn either the labor we thought we'd have and sometimes we're mourning that baby like I think about all the mothers who've had those miscarriages who then we quote unquote consider they're not mothers that that person is very much a mother you're mourning at all points in time so it's such a big theme that I think people don't talk about so I guess for some of the listeners to know um this guest, she's very educated in this space, obviously works in a hospital. So she's got a lot of not like a lot of book knowledge. That's why I'm really curious now to hear all that knowledge you have and you're putting it now to the test with real life, right? So what was your postpartum and breastfeeding like? Yeah, so I, again, was very lucky because of my birthing team. And so Unfortunately, something that we don't have in the United States is ongoing um, consistent support for the postpartum period. And so part of the um, 
package of having a midwife and a doula is that they do come see you at home. And so I had that type of support physically and emotionally um, after I delivered. So once I got discharged from the hospital, their care didn't stop because I had a baby. Mm -hmm. Their care continued. And so I had that breastfeeding support for my doula and my midwife in my home. Um, I did not have to leave my home and make appointments to get that type of care. And I know that that's a luxury. And I know that that's foresight that not every woman has for themselves. Um, and then also myself, I do have a lot of knowledge in this um, area. And so I was able to be very proactive and have expectations um, ahead of time. And I can't stress enough how expectations really can make or break your um, journey, both postpartum and breastfeeding wise. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't stress enough the fact that I just call myself a breastfeeding educator. I don't need to go be a lactation consultant because the gap between the average woman and needing to see a lactation consultant is humongous. A lot of times it's just a matter of you have no expectations. You have no idea what you're getting into. And it's much harder sometimes, especially because that physiological, that's what I was looking for earlier, physiological birth, our physiological response to what's happening also when breastfeeding can impact the milk arriving. And I think we're not like to your point, right? You're not in the comfort of your home or you're so uncomfortable. Your body's like, this is the last thing I want to prioritize right now. Right. For sure. So how long did you end up breastfeeding? So my breastfeeding journey was uh, a little over a year. And honestly, the only reason, no, it's not the only reason, there's several, um, why we uh, weaned was it happened very um, spontaneously and naturally. We just seemed to have an agreement. Um, (laughs) But really, (laughs) the agreement had occurred because I didn't know I was pregnant and um, in, in the initial days and weeks of pregnancy, your breast milk um, taste changes a little bit and your volume can change a little bit. And so every time I would breastfeed the baby, um, he would look at me a little odd, like, what did you do with my milk? Um, and so it naturally over three to four weeks, uh, we decided that our journey had come to a close, but I did not know that I was pregnant. And so really it was the baby telling me, you, you did something to my milk. There's something going on. Um, and yeah, it's because I was expecting that um, our journey came to a close, but otherwise I would have continued breastfeeding throughout the pregnancy. Wow. So congratulations. You're pregnant again. Thank you. So wait, so thank you, thank you said you didn't know you were pregnant. Is it like, oh, I didn't know because you were waiting for your period or like you guys were trying because I'm like, wait, it took you two years the first time. Wait, I need to hear this. <laughs> right. So essentially, after trying for so long for two years and knowing I had polycystic ovarian syndrome and the fertility journey and trying so hard, we weren't going to do birth control at right. all. Um, and then with breastfeeding exclusively for over a year, I probably got maybe two periods once um, solid foods came into play because you're not breastfeeding as often. And then I only took a pregnancy test because I was going to a wedding and I was hoping to party the night away. And then it came back positive and I was floored, like literally. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a lot to take in. Also a year apart, that's a lot to take in. 
Yes, it, it was um, a genuine surprise. I will say that. <laughs> it's also kind of beautiful. I love, I swear, I love like when God does things like that. I mean, God, the universe, whoever you believe in, like, it's just, it's for a reason, you know, to get this, this surprise baby after trying so hard. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so when are you due? I'm due any day now. <laughs> so we are waiting for this child to arrive. I love that. So you're waiting. So you're not at work? I'm not at work. So this Beautiful. time I um, was a little bit more proactive, although this wasn't a planned pregnancy. It is a very much wanted pregnancy. Um, and I didn't want to happen what happened last time. So I planned ahead of time with work. I planned ahead of time with school. Um, and so I am now more than ever in a psychological best place to start labor. I love <laughs> and that. Waiting. And so you have the yeah. same midwife and doula team as before? I do. And we're excited and hopefully we're able to labor and deliver at home. Now, I'm mindful that after this, you mentioned you have a chiropractic appointment. Is that something that you did the first time around? Or also, we never heard about your pelvic situation. So I wonder if they're connected. Yes. So essentially, I started going to the chiropractor very late with my first pregnancy and should have paid attention to my body a little bit more and spoken up a little bit more, um, which is you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And so what ends up happening in labor is your pelvic bones move and your back sacral plate will um, extend itself backward as you're adjusting for a fetus to deliver. And so the reason also why my labor took so long was my pelvis was trying to do that. And it, you could almost say it was almost like locked type thing like and so it and that's why I had that terrible back labor pain um and so this time around with this pregnancy I started getting that pelvic discomfort really early almost like around 13 to 15 weeks and I was like oh no we're not doing Mm -hmm. this this time and I was very proactive and I started going to the chiropractor early on and I'm very lucky that I have accessibility to a perinatal chiropractor who this is what she specializes in is women um, in pregnancy. And thankfully, um, the experience has been much better. I can totally lift both knees all the way up um, when I put my underwear on and everything. So and uh, very easy to adjust where I was only able to get adjusted once with my previous pregnancy and she could not re- um release my pelvis wow so I'm excited (laughs) that is so exciting and I actually also um for those that are thinking about chiropractic care I did chiropractic care for positioning as well with my second pregnancy because I also had a lot of pelvic issues and um and I had um that pain where you you're like your nerve is stuck in the back. I'm forgetting everything today. <laughs> but, um, and like you fill p- pins and needles in your, in your leg. Um, but there's sciatica. sciatica yes. And um, sciatic nerve pain. And so if you're looking for chiropractic care listeners, you can also look up either perinatal chiropractic care or Webster certified technique, which is the technique that allows for you to get adjusted during pregnancy. And if you walk in and the chiropractor is like, uh, if they're scared, just walk out and go to the next one. Because the person that knows what they're doing is not going to be scared of your big old pregnant body. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
you know, the last few things I like to also hear from uh, my guests are just, so now you've transitioned to motherhood. You're about to have like two under two. Is yeah. <laughs> so two under two, um, you know, what's your parent, what's you and your partner's parenting technique been like and how have you adjusted to becoming parents together? Oh, wow. I think the biggest thing that we've learned is learning to read your child because they don't just cry um, or are upset for typically no good reason. They're either frustrated or they're trying to tell you either I'm hungry or I'm soiled or I'm tired. Um, And I think reading your child is, um, I think, the biggest lesson we can walk away from, eat from birth. Um, absolutely. And so at the conclusion, I like to see if you want to leave our listeners with an affirmation or if you want to manifest something for yourself. Yeah. So everything in life has risks, um, that we do from stepping outside of our door in the morning to driving and putting on a seatbelt. And it is your right as a woman to find what risks are that you're willing to take Um, and don't ever let anybody else's judgment deter you from having the experience that you want I love that I'm writing it down (laughs) I love it (laughs) (laughs) yeah because judgment I mean judgment is gonna start from the minute you get pregnant people are judging you. They're judging your situation. They're judging your choices. And then best believe when that baby gets here, the judgment doesn't stop. And when's the next baby? And you're giving them this food and you're raising them this way. It doesn't stop. So get on. Anything from something simple like baby wearing gets judged. Like it's what? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I guess we didn't get to touch on this, but if we could just close with, um, you know, you went back to your home country Right. And if you could speak about how you mentioned their breastfeeding experience was so different outside the United States in terms of judgment. Yeah. Yes. And so I, um, my birth, my birth country, my, um, (laughs) what am I trying to say? My country of heritage (laughs) is in South America. And we know that South America is a very breastfeeding, uh, where free space. You just don't realize what that means coming from an area like the United States that isn't very um, friendly, per se. Uh, And so breastfeeding in America, you just get used to covering. Or if you don't cover, you're still somewhat modest in the way. um, And not that you have to, by all means, you breastfeed however you want to breastfeed. It's just the insecurities or the not wanting to hear mm-hmm. what, or the look that makes you sometimes adjust the way you will breastfeed. Nonetheless, I arrived into the airport and still covered up, even though I had landed in South America, and then realized there were other women who were full-blown breastfeeding and I said, you know what? I'm going to join you. <laughs> and really, it was such an empowering experience because here I was breastfeeding in five-star restaurants and it was not a problem. No one ever 
looked at me different. It was almost like they catered to me more like oh what can, can we get you a glass of water can uh, are you comfortable um are you too close to the air conditioning are, and it was thank you so much like I never felt like I felt like a queen <laughs> That's so my beautiful <laughs> so beautiful it really was um an amazing experience even in the airport when I was leaving the country um I we were on a really long line for immigration and the baby was hungry and we uh, for women who haven't breastfed when your baby's hungry there is no like oh wait five minutes Mm-mm. like you have to breast they're slamming your shirt <laughs> they're like give me the boob <laughs> and so no problem and so uh, by that point I had gotten more comfortable with breastfeeding and so I was able to breastfeed while standing and like the officials were not having that they're like nope let's get her a chair and I'm like oh my goodness this would never happen in America <laughs> oh <laughs> never. I love that thank you for sharing closing that story I, I wish every woman could feel that type of love and support um you know in their experience Right. Well, I can't wait to hear your next story. I can't, I hope it. I hope you go into labor tonight. <laughs> and <laughs> thank you so much for making the time to do one of these last kind of things off your list before your next baby's here. For sure. Take care. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Expectations. What would your journey to motherhood be like if you had realistic expectations of how motherhood unfolds? Tune in as I interview a variety of moms and get their understanding on their raw, vulnerable truths of their journey to conception, pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, working motherhood, and their parenting techniques. Listen in for some insight and some inspiration. It's important to get vulnerable and real because there are a lot of inconvenient truths that you just aren't told. Tune in if you like to hear the things no one else tells you. Enjoy Vida de Madre con Mari Vega.